Savior of my soul, lover of my life, I love you endlessly. Good morning, everyone. 
hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I did. I hope you did. Had some time to spend with family and friends and, and just have a wonderful weekend. We're going to cap the weekend off and start our next week uh, just right, right here at church. Uh, we do want to let you know again about the Christmas banquet that's coming up December 21st. It's at 6 o'clock on a Sunday night here. Uh, we have limited seating, 240 seats, and uh, we've got about 50 yet to go. And uh, if you still like to be a part of that, you can um, go online, uh, shcog.com, or you can call the office and uh, talk to the ladies in the office and get on the list. And it's a carry-in dinner. You bring something, you come, enjoy, and uh, we're going to have a great time together. Amen. Speaking of a great time, we're going to get out. We're going to welcome each other, hug necks, shake hands, and uh, let's have church. This joy that I have. Yeah.
praise today. Yeah. Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship in one accord. Every praise, every praise, every praise, every praise is to our God. Sing hallelujah. Sing hallelujah to our God.
Glory, Lord. Whisper his name. Jesus. Whisper his name. Jesus. Whisper his name. Jesus. He will answer you. Oh, yes. Call on his name. Jesus. Call on his name. Jesus. Call on his name. Jesus. He will come to you. Speak out his name. Speak out his name, speak out his name, he will come to you, shout out his name, shout out his name, shout out his name, he will run to you, church, shout out.
walk worthy, Lord. Glory to you in the highest place. Glory to you in the highest place. Glory to you. praise this morning. Hallelujah. Several years ago, when I walked in here on a Sunday night, my first time, my first visit here, I heard that song and it, it broke me and brought me to my knees. Just to know that whatever's going on in our life, whatever trial we may be facing, Whatever our circumstances may be, whatever storm we're walking through, we only need to get one word out. We can walk straight through that storm with our hands lifted high and just say, Jesus. Hallelujah. With one word comes our healing. With one word comes our deliverance. With one word came our salvation. I'm so thankful for that. Let's lift our hands in this place. Let's honor him. Let's give him the reverence that he deserves this morning. All authority and all power and all glory is summed up in one word. Jesus. You are so worthy this morning and we love you. We know no matter what's going on in our life, no matter what we may be facing, no matter how dark the skies may appear, all we need to say is Jesus, and you're there to lift us up. We're so thankful, but we love you this morning. We've come here today for you. We've come to honor you and give you the reverence you deserve in this house. Lord, we ask that you would move on your people this morning. Lord, no matter what's going on in each and every one of these lives here this morning, no matter how difficult the situation may appear, no matter how broken or depressed they may have walked into this place, may they leave this morning feeling, Lord, that you are with them. Lord, would you blow wind in their sail today, encourage them and lift them up. With one word, Lord, all they need to say this morning is Jesus. Lord, in the same atmosphere of reverence and prayer, in accordance to your word, we lift up Jerusalem. Lord, we pray for the peace of your people. Ask that you would be with them as well at this time as you are here with us. And that that same word would be said over and over and over again. Through the, your people, Lord, that Jesus will be proclaimed to the world. Lord, and that those that doubt would come to you, accept you, and be saved this morning. Lord, be with them. We pray for their peace and their prosperity, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. 
seated. It's so good to see you on the first Sunday after Thanksgiving. The holidays are officially rolled out now. How many of you ate way too much? Good thing you're in church today, right? It's so good to see you, and thank you, Brian. What a wonderful word for us this morning. I could go ahead and just leave out of here, and I've already been to church. All we need in the whole world the name of Jesus, a name the Bible says that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. Amen? Zechariah 4 and 6 says, for it's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. We trust this morning that every care and every need that we have taken care of by him and our special prayer this morning over our as we pray for our offering I want you to remember a couple of very special needs one is that Linda Ingham has been transferred from a Chillicothe hospital to Kettering here as you know she's been battling uh, over a week now uh, this body is just filled with blood clots and she has them in her legs in her lungs and uh, just very very critical with this and so we're we're wanting to believe and pray that God will touch her. Um, the doctors there in Chillicothe don't want to really deal with the situation. They want her to, they've transferred her to Kettering for the purpose of putting some, uh, perhaps some uh, more, uh, I don't want to say smarter, but just they felt the need. So let's pray that this is a good move and that God touches her today. Also, Archie McIntosh, many of you may not know, how many know Archie? Archie is in ICU at um, Westchester Hospital. I was able to visit with him the other day, and uh, he's unresponsive at this point. This gentleman worked hard for many, many, many years in our church. He took care of our buses. He was someone that, that just kept him on the road, and, and he worked on them himself, and he was one who just took care of everybody, served in so many different ways in bus ministry and in children's ministry with his son and just so many different areas. We want to remember Archie today. He needs our prayers um, for healing and for strength. Also, Rob Blevins, a young man down at Christ uh, United, I'm sorry, University of Cincinnati Hospital in Cincinnati. Rob and his wife, Chris, are active members of our church, and he had uh, open-heart surgery a few days ago, and it has just not went well. And he is in ICU now at University Hospital, and so we need to remember him very special needs important to bring to you You know we don't run through a list you have a prayer list in your bulletin that we trust you look at you take home with you put that in your Bible and pray through the week but every now and again if it's life and death we, we want to bring it to the body's attention and we want God to move so for our offering prayer today I'd ask you if you would just take a moment and stand with me we're going to pray for these very specific needs and also going to pray for the family that Cindy and Tyler are here today praying for the family of Juanita Cook. Juanita passed away this last week and we had her funeral uh, from the church. So we want to we remember the family. She's in a much better place. How many of you know that? She's celebrating this week. She's already been around three, four times by now. 
and so I, we know that she's, she's doing well, but the family is in need of prayer today. Let's go before him and pray over our offering as well. Father, as we come before you, as a congregation, as a body, we come by faith. We believe in the name of Jesus that your word is powerful. Your word declares to us in all truth that there's healing. So we believe you today and ask you to touch and minister to each of the needs we've called out. We pray for Archie today. We lift him up to you. God, we trust you and place him in your hands. Your will be accomplished and done in his life. We pray for comfort for the family and strength for them all. And God, we pray for Linda. We lift her up to you today, one of our pastors on staff. We ask you to touch and minister to her need physically. We ask you to dissolve these blood clots that are a danger to her. We pray in the name of the Lord that you would just begin to work supernaturally, even in this hour, this morning. Let her feel the presence of God in that hospital and let her know your touch. And Lord, we pray for Rob Blevins. We lift him up to you. Ask your work to be accomplished and done in his body from his head to his feet. Touch him with a powerful touch of your Holy Spirit to give him healing and strength. We pray as an agent of the work of God, the blood of Christ in his life. We ask you to just touch him with that healing, the balm of Gilead. We ask this in the name of Jesus, knowing that it's in your name that we ask it and we believe. And Lord, we pray comfort for the Cook families. We lift them up to you. Pray in Jesus' name. You'd be with them, comfort them, strengthen them through the difficult days, especially as the holidays come. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. We ask you bless our offering, bless all of our gifts, bless our tithe, our missions giving, and Lord, all that we do to honor and glorify your kingdom. Use us today in our gifts. In Jesus' name, amen. Your will be done. Till it's all I want. 
apologize ahead of time. I have had a throat issue this entire week. And so I sound a little bit like Froggy from our game. Who remembers those guys? Well, I sound a little bit like him, but I'm going to do my best with your prayers and uh, your look. Whatever you hear, if I squeak like a little girl, I'm sorry. I apologize. This morning, we begin the next four, four weeks. We'll be focusing on Advent. Advent at our church is an important time of the year because the word Advent comes from a Latin term called Adventus. It means the coming. Several years ago, as a matter of fact, eight years ago, when I became pastor, one of the things I had been watching and been curious about the Advent for many years in more liturgical churches and more orthodox churches, and I knew that in spirit-filled churches, they just don't do that. Not many spirit-filled churches practice the uh, Advent or, or practice that kind of sacrament, but I was always so curious about it because of the reverence, the honor, you know. As spirit-filled believers, we should be as reverent or more reverent than anyone else. And I, I really began to wrestle with that, and I began to study it and look at what it meant. And it just simply meant that we were going to take the time to stop, to pause in our lives before the gifts and the lights and all of the food and all of the celebration. Before that takes over and remember that it was all about him that it was a silent night it wasn't people standing in line waiting to get the Black Friday deals it wasn't a bunch of folks rushing to put food and things together and buy gifts for everybody. As a matter of fact, they brought the gifts to the king of kings. So the Advent is a time when we pause and for four weeks I'll be focusing on the subjects and you're pretty familiar with them by now, I hope. Hope, love, peace, and joy. These were the gifts given to us. Most all the Christmas songs and hymns point to these four subjects. We're going to talk about them in, I believe, a, a way that will cause each of us to slow down and to appreciate and to look forward, especially now, because not only do we look back on when Israel looked forward to his coming, waited patiently for his coming, but how many of you are with me and you were looking again for his coming, looking to the eastern skies? for the day when our Lord will return again. So we are in Advent, not only for Christmas, but as well for his coming soon. Take his church. So I want to introduce, this is Darren and Renee Fodell, and they are part of our 830 crowd, a wonderful family here each week. We choose a family in our church, trying to get around to all of you, uh, to come and to light candles each week and we'll light this morning the candle of hope hope that comes to us through Christmas and through Christ and so I appreciate them and thank them very much they were a little nervous but I think they're doing a good job don't you <laughs> doing a great job they're a beautiful family and very kind of good people and I'm so proud of them and I appreciate them 
helping us today to light the candle to a lost and dark world, bringing hope to us all. I'd ask you to stand for the reading of God's word in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. As I read the scripture, they will begin to light the candle, the first candle for hope. Verse 13. For when God made his promise to Abraham, he swore by himself, since they had, he had no one greater by whom to swear, saying, Blessing, I certainly will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. And so it was that he, Abraham, having waited long and endured patiently, realized and obtained in the birth of Isaac as a pledge of what was to come, what God had promised him. Men indeed swear by a greater than themselves, and with them in all disputes the oath taken for confirmation is final, ending all strife. Accordingly, God also, in his desire to show more convincingly and beyond doubt to those who were to inherit the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose and plan intervened with an oath. This was so that by two unchangeable things, his promise and his oath, in which it is impossible for God ever to prove false or to deceive us, we who have fled to him for refuge might have mighty indwelling strength and strong encouragement to grasp and hold fast the hope appointed for us and set before us. Now we have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. It cannot slip and it cannot break down under whoever steps out upon it. A hope that reaches farther and enters into the very certainty of the presence within the veil where Jesus has entered in for us in advance. A forerunner having become high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Father, we ask you to bless your word today in our time as we begin the journey of preparation for Christmas. We ask you to touch us today. Let your work be accomplished in the word and speak to us by your Holy Spirit. We never fail to give you the honor for it all. In Jesus, your wonderful name. And everyone together said amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you. God else? As I mentioned, Adventus means the coming to prepare our hearts for something. But you know, what's awesome about that whole term is that that's exactly what Christmas was all about. It was about fulfilling the coming. The Messiah coming back to the earth. Expectation. I've entitled the four weeks that we'll be working together on this series in Advent as Christmas Expectations. I am expecting that through these weeks, We'll grow in our relationship with the Lord and we'll truly look to the power that comes through trusting in God. The world tries very hard to replace him, tries very hard to ignore him, to push away faith and to move away from faith. But I'm telling you, as the last minutes and hours are approaching for us as a community of believers in the body, it is time as never before for us to expect and anticipate the coming of the Lord. No command in the New Testament tells us to celebrate Christmas, but it only commonly makes sense. I know there's debate among religious circles 
Some churches flatly deny and will not celebrate Christmas. We're not one of those churches. I just kind of look for any reason to give Jesus praise. I don't know the day. I don't, we know it wasn't December 25th, but we do know that it's a day that's set aside the day that we honor the birth, the virgin birth, the promise fulfilled of Jesus coming to the earth. So it's joy to the world. The Lord has come. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. I love the song. Probably my favorite song at Christmas is Silent Night. You know, to consider and know that while Bethlehem slept and while all the earth slept, there were shepherds that literally, shepherds now, not kings, not presidents, not the highfalutin, not the top-ranked folks, but shepherds out in the field taking care of third shifts. They were the ones that God chose to send his message to the world. I've come. I've come. And it's in that same manner that you see God works. I'm so glad that God looks for the least likely. I'm so glad that God doesn't always look for the most qualified when he's looking for people that he can use in the earth. So excited that in looking in the earth, he finds people Everywhere, every story, if you go through the word, page after page after page, you'll see through one generation to the next, God chooses the most unlikely. They're not always perfect characters. As a matter of fact, they're rather roguish. Some of them are a little troublesome. Some of them have some past. But God, God's chosen them because he looks to hearts of people more than he looks to qualifications. Aren't you glad he does that? At first, our text, you, you might think, you know, that really doesn't have a whole lot to do with Christmas. You didn't read anything from Luke. and You didn't talk about swaddling clothes and, and a manger. You didn't talk about the Virgin Mary. You just talked about God giving us promise with an oath. But if you look at it in context, if you really take a close look at what I read, you begin to see very clearly that it has everything to do with Christmas. It really does. It's about looking into the, the history of Jesus' birth. It's looking to see where he came from. One of the arguments and one of the things that drives me crazy in today's current culture and society is the determination to absolutely preach a gospel, if you will, that just says there's many ways to get to God. Drives me nuts when I see bumper stickers coexist. When I see all kinds of people wanting us to adopt and celebrate with tons of different faiths and philosophies and ideas. Why, if you wanted to accept everything that came down the pike, you might worship trees in Oregon, Michael Jackson in L.A. You might worship Elvis still. You might be one of the old timers who worship Elvis. Or worse, you might be focused on a false religion or a god or a prophet that had nothing to do with God and the plan and the design that he put together for the world. What I loved about this, and I got excited about it, is I began to study all this, and it's going to sound a little bit like we're in a class at college, or it's going to be a little bit more like a teaching today, because I want you to understand why there's only one way. 
I want you to look with me into the Word. And I want us to look back to what God did in setting one generation together after another. How He laid the groundwork. He first looked at humanity. Started in the Garden of Eden. There in that garden began the design and the plan for the nation of Israel and for the hope that we find in Jesus Christ. When we look at these, the history of this word I just read you, God, it says, by two unchangeable things, made a promise and he made an oath. And since he could swear, it says, by no, or make an oath by no one greater than himself, he swore by himself. He made a promise based on his word, his dependability, the fact that he cannot be false, he cannot lie. The writer goes back 4,000 years to the original promises of God. When God made the first promises, he made them to Abraham, the, the ones that talked about a nation. And he talked about all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. God began to lay down this design and this plan. But you can actually trace the very first promise back to the Garden of Eden. When you look at, at Adam and Eve when they came uh, before the Lord and there they were standing in the midst of their failure. A few minutes, I would think, hours, I don't know, after the failure, they literally are standing there with God giving a design and a plan promise for the future. You can find that in, in, in scripture. Paradise was violated. Sin had entered the world. God's plan had been foiled. Our first parents had fallen. And from that day forward, sin spread through all of the world. You would think Satan won the battle. You'd think that Satan had done everything he could now and that, that it was all over. But for God, that was not about to take place. God took that fallen man and woman, and there in the middle of that garden, he made a promise. God would not start over. He would not uh, destroy Adam and Eve. He would not start a new plan. He wouldn't start over just then. He always had a people, and he always had a plan. God was determined to do something to bring the human race back into, into reconciliation with him. And the outline of the Old Testament begins to really put it together, hint by hint. And I love the fact that the first promise, he actually spoke to the enemy. He more or less wanted to let him know straight up, you are not going to win this battle. You're not going to win. You're not going to foil the love and the design that I have for these people. He thought he had won, but he, had, he was mistaken. He was going down. I want you to understand, God is still in the business of making sure the enemy doesn't, doesn't win. But he gave us the very first glimmer of hope in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Listen to what it says there. And I will put enmity, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That was in Genesis chapter 3. We're only three chapters into the very first book of the Bible. And we have God laying out a promise that says, all right, you may have won this battle, but you will not win the war. I'm going to put a war between 
your offspring and the woman's. So we've got a clue right there that the plan of God was going to include someone who was born to the human race. That's all we know. I mean, you got to remember, the enemy cannot read minds. He, he doesn't know. He's, he was like an angel, and, and angels ponder and wonder and ask questions and search the world over, watch us. And the Bible talks about how they're so intrigued by our lives and want to know more about us. They don't know things. Satan can't read your mind. He, he, some people tend to accuse the enemy of being as smart and as supernatural and as divine as God. He's been created by God. He doesn't have the ability. So God has been revealing all down through generations. He's been revealing just what he wanted to in the time. There was always a time. With God, there's always time. You got to wait. I preached last week about waiting through your wilderness time. There's always a time with God. You have to understand he works very methodically. God works in a system. He works in a design. Everything about him is ordered. And so he looked at the man. He looked at the enemy. And he said to him, I'm going to put a war now between you and this woman's seed. I'm going to put a war between you. You're going to strike his heel, and he's going to bruise and crush your head. You're going to go down. And the enemy left from that one thing. You wonder why he's so adamantly against your family? You wonder why he's so adamantly against the church? Why he wants to crush you, knock you down when you're doing the bidding and the work of God? You want to know why he's, he's relentless and he won't give up, he won't quit? If you're someone who has trouble with faith, you, you want to know why he's constantly attacking your faith, trying to keep you in the, the mentality that you're in, trying to keep you full of, of doubt and discouragement. You, you know why? Because it rings in his ears, Jen, over and over and over again. I will put war between you and the human race. I'm going to put a war between you and someone, a child of the human race is going to be raised up and he's going to crush your head. The enemy hates faith, hates you, hates me, hates our church, hates the work of God on the earth. But we know from that very little hint right there that it's going to be a specific person, it's going to be someone born of the human race by this woman. He'll do battle with Satan. Satan will strike a blow against him. He was talking about, if you look prophetically into that one little tiny scripture, you're seeing the cross. It's beautiful when you begin to outline it and understand. I, I hope you, you, you enjoy that because I'm looking at an Old Testament scripture in Genesis chapter 3 and I'm going, you're talking about the cross. You're laying it all out. You've already got this design planned. And we know that before the very foundations of the world was framed, we know that God had already ordained that there would be reconciliation for a fallen man. God knew. He knew the risks. He knew that by giving you and I a free will and a heart to choose him, that we would also be able, if it was going to be real at all, we had to be able to not choose him. So in that process, 
God, this great God of love that the world accuses, that the world maligns. I was watching Fox News early this morning, and I, I became enraged by an atheist group that is coming against their elementary school. Because all during Thanksgiving, they raised money for a local food drive, and they wanted to feed families at Thanksgiving. And the closest and only food pantry in the city was a church. So they threatened to sue them if they dared take that food down to the church. So now all this food is sitting in the elementary school, disappointed kids, all this food stacked up because the devil hates God. Filled with a hatred that won't, if, if God, the very the oxymoron of it all, if God is not there, if you don't believe in him, then why do you care? Why do you care? I don't believe in Santa Claus. So, but I am not out there on an anti-Santa. I'm not out there in stores with picket signs and taking people, suing them in the courts because they had a, a ho-ho-ho next to the cupcakes. It makes no sense unless you look at it through the dial of spirituality. You can see that God is real through the hatred, through the evil. And yet so many people, they don't get that and they, they fall prey to the deception that the deliverer, when he comes, he'll be born of a woman and he will be the first link in the long line throughout scripture, this, this one little scripture that sets the groundwork for what God was going to do. I began to study and look for all the places that Jesus was prophesied before we ever get to the New Testament. I wanted to see the outline of how the Old Testament comes together with the New Testament to prove that Jesus has always been preached. He's always been the anticipated Holy One, the Messiah that we've been looking for. There is no other God. It's not Elvis. It's not any of those other people. It's not the other gods and other philosophies. It wasn't through Ishmael. It was through the promises laid out from Genesis all the way to Matthew. Luke, Mark, and John laid it all out that there was only going to be one deliverer. You say, well, I mean... It says here, a man born of a woman. I mean, that could be anybody. Well, it could, except that you got to follow down through history because we get past Genesis and we get towards the end of it and we're talking about the history of Israel coming to be a nation. And we see that after about 1,000, 1,500, 1,600 years, we see that, that the earth turned violently evil and they went their own way. And God so looked down on the earth that you know the story. He absolutely looked down and repented that he made man. So as he, he put together and put it in the heart of Noah to take his family, the only righteous and man on the earth. And he said, take your family, build you an ark, and get yourself ready because I'm going to do this over. It had actually gotten to the point where he absolutely made that decision. He repented that he made man and he made a plan, but he still had a plan. He always had a plan. But now we're looking at Genesis chapter 3 and we're saying, okay, now what are you doing? Well, it's clear. He's narrowing down. 
we've now went from the whole human race down to one family, Noah's family. And Noah had three sons. So we know, okay, God, what are you doing? You've made this big promise now in Genesis. You looked at the devil and you said, I'm going to put a war between you and the human race. Now we're down to three boys. Which will it be? And then the scriptures began to unfold in front of us. Genesis chapter 9, verse 26. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Well, who's Shem? Genesis 6, in chapter 10, Noah beget three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. He only had three sons. So now we know, in order for the promise in Genesis to come to reality, and for there still to be a connection and a thread going through the Old Testament to the New, then the Deliverer must come from one of those three families. And then in Genesis chapter 12, we have the answer. I will make your name great through your offspring. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. We see this happening and we look, but it must then backtrack to Shem. Shem becomes the hope and the promise of the three sons. Genesis 17 and 21 tells us, but my covenant, my promise and pledge, I will establish through the descendants of Shem. So now we know Shem. Then we get down and the Bible begins to trail and we look to Abraham. Abraham is taken out on the side of the hill. God speaks to him and says, through your descendants, through you now, one person, it's now come down all the way to Abraham. We're, we're now 2,000 years past the Garden of Eden and we've got Abraham standing there receiving the promise again. Through you, through your descendants, there will be a deliverer. But I'm old. My wife is old and we have no children, hence miracle. God begins to set up the miracle. You know he had two sons, Isaac, Ishmael, and he had other sons, but those two were the ones, you know, one came, you know the story of how Sarah couldn't conceive, so she went to her handmaiden and, and the whole nine yards. And Ishmael, who really technically would have been the one who was first born, he wasn't the one that was promised because God said again in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 21, here's what, 22 and 18, but my covenant, my promise, and my pledge I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. The promise narrows even further as God now specifies that the promise is going to come through Isaac, not through Ishmael. No matter what you hear, comes through Isaac. And so Isaac then begets a son, and we know his son, Jacob. Jacob was not the firstborn, but Esau was there in the middle of that situation. And you know he sold his birthright for a bowl of chili. And from there we get a deceiver becomes, a deceiver becomes the one who inherits the blessing. Again, showing us that God's love, God's never-ending Mercy and grace is there for his children. Does he go with it? Does God honor the transaction between Jacob and Esau? Yes, he does. Jacob is then honored. You know he has a dream. And in that dream, the stairway to heaven, the ladder that goes to heaven back and forth, again repeats the promise that Abraham received. And now we're back on track with the future. God's narrowing it down. Next we see 
that he'll come from the tribe of Judah. That's next in scripture. And one of the most beautiful and telling prophecies of Christ is in that scripture in Genesis chapter 49, verses 8, 9, and 10. Listen to what it says here. It begins to tell us now he's not just going to be a human, but now there's a little hint. You better believe the devil's listening. Listening to Isaiah as he makes this, I'm sorry, in Genesis as this prophecy is written down. Judah, you are the one whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down to you. Judah, a lion's cub, with the prey, my son, you have gone up the mountain. He stooped down, he crouched like a lion, and like a lioness who dares provoke and rouse him. The scepter or leadership shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh, or the Messiah, the peaceful one, comes to whom it belongs, and to him shall be, shall be the obedience of the people. We now know that it's gone from all through history and all through the Old Testament down to the tribe of Judah. And in the tribe of Judah, we know that then we get down to a very specific king whose name was David. David. And this David, the descendant of God, then becomes the great, great, great grandfather to the Messiah that would come. We begin to see it keeps narrowing down as God reveals over and over and over again through his word that it's coming down to one man. But then we know that something changes, and I made brief mention of it. We knew that something had to be different because of David. The promise that came to David said, the Lord himself will establish a house for you. In 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 11, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. This is the place where we see in scripture that now it's not just a member of the human race. It's not just a descendant of Isaac or Jacob. It's not just a descendant there of, of the folks we've mentioned all throughout the Old Testament. It now has come down to the tribe of Judah. But something else has been put here next to David. And that is that whoever this person is that's raised up. He's going to reign forever. His throne will reign forever. The hint comes that there's something very special about this person. He's not just a mere human. He can't be just a mere human because none of the other leaders or none of the kings, their reigns didn't last forever. David's didn't last forever in himself. But his throne, his heritage, his lineage did. Who would qualify in the lineage of David to be a king that would reign forever in the house of David. David couldn't have imagined it. A member of the human race, a descendant of Shem, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, from Judah to David, and now the descendant of David. This is the lineage. Who could the deliverer be, and where would he come from? Isaiah. I meant to say this earlier, steps now into the scene, and he tells us something about the man, the one that would come through the history of David. He says he will be born of a virgin, and the story begins to unfold. Can you imagine what went on in hell 
when Isaiah spoke these prophetic words. He will be born of a virgin. I mean, the people up to that point had been looking for a deliverer. But I'm sure they were looking to the skies. They were looking to, to prophets in history. They were looking to fire and burning bushes. And they were, look, they were thinking he was just going to appear like an angel. Somehow he's just going to come on the scene. And when they finally get some news, Isaiah comes anointed and says he'll be born of a virgin. Can you imagine the excitement of the people and yet the questions that they have, the wonder? Who is this man going to be? Isaiah went, this newsflash, this headline, went to King Ahaz. He went into him because Israel was under great attack and in a war. And he wanted, he wanted to share with him his hope. He wanted to give him hope. He wanted him to have comfort and know that God is still on the throne, still bringing comfort to the people and protection. And he looked at him and he, he blurted this out. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with a child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So now we know he's not going to be any ordinary person. History begins to unfold and then we begin to see something else. Oh, by the way, he will be born in Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. This word in the Hebrew is kedemah, which means it's eternal. So here we see in Micah, that God is once again laying down a secret. He's telling, hinting that the person who's going to be born of a virgin, who was human, is now going to be something alongside of humanity, not an angel or not a supernatural creature. He's going to be a human, but he's also not going to be an ordinary human. He's going to be born in a very special way, meaning he's going to be both fully God and fully man. And we see all of this outlined in Scripture, Old Testament to New. I don't even understand how the Jewish nation cannot look at these Scriptures and see the history of Christ as he has come to light and not know he's the Messiah. He's the only one who could reign on David's throne and do it for eternity. He's the only one that could be the hope and the promise. And when Bethlehem got the news, when he was born of Mary, who had not conceived from, from her relationship there, you see it all outlining perfectly the, the hints, the facts, the history unfolding before us that there can only be one, one out of all humanity, one out of all the gods, one out of all the philosophies. There could only be one person. And Matthew outlines it in the very beginning in chapter 1 there in Matthew, the very beginning of the, New, of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. He begins to outline. He's excited about it. He wants everybody to understand and know from Abraham all the way down through history. He outlines and names for you the genealogy until he finally gets down to Jesus Christ born of Mary and Joseph. When you see that, 
in the writing in Matthew. Matthew is setting it all clear that he was the bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament. He is the only one who could qualify, the only one who could absolutely be the chosen one. He's the only one that now, down through all of history, has been accepted in the heavens as the deliverer for the people. And now we see in history, since then, 2,000 years down the road, there's not been anybody else step forward. There's not been any other facts or any other things come to light that would change one particular awesome thing. On that holy, silent night, that night, Jesus Christ, Messiah, the hope of glory, was born to a, in a manger there on the backside of a hill in Bethlehem to a virgin promised by God for 4,000 years. And we see it as it unfolds completely. And we look at one another and we say, this is our hope. By God who fulfilled his promise down through thousands of generations, thousands of prophecies, all kinds of people who knew for the, the future what was going to happen. Little by little, God has been revealing his plan. And now, today, he still gives us little bits of information. We know that since then, he has come and he has died on the cross of Calvary, taken our salvation, and he literally, from right in rising from the dead, has purchased for us eternity where he will forever be on the throne of the house of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah. All the way down through scripture, we begin to see it all unfolding. And so when we worship, when we praise, and when we celebrate, and when we come together, we come back together saying, by these two unchangeable things, by the fact that God made promises all down through scripture, and by one other thing, he has promised an oath on his own name, and God cannot lie. Therefore, every promise that has ever come down through history, whether it was shown us the promise and hope of Christ, or whether it shows us the hope and glory of our own heart and life in eternal reign with him as a joint heir, if we're in heaven forever, we know that God will fulfill his word. Our hope at Christmas comes through his coming. His coming proves to us that God will not let us down, that God has had us on his mind since the very day, a few minutes after Adam and Eve fell to the forbidden fruit. He has absolutely been on the job. God's on the throne. He's not quit. He's not taken a vacation. He's not left us in darkness. All down through history, he has continued to fulfill two things, his oath and his promise. And he hasn't let us down in all of these years, and he's not about to let us down now. Because yet again, there's a promise, a hope that the eastern sky for the Lord himself with a shout, when the voice of the archangel and the trump of God shall step out on a cloud and call his church home. We know that promise goes right back to the very beginning of time. God will fulfill his promises. This is your hope. This is what you hang on to. This is what you argue. You can take people now back down through history and you can take them through every prophet, through every leader, through every deliverer from Moses all the way forward and you can show them that there could only be one. There could never be anyone else. He is absolutely the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the Son of God and he's the Son of man. He is the deliverer and he is our hope. We hang on to him and with this hope, 
with this hope now, we can run through a troop and leap over a wall. We can run through the fire. We can run through the waters. They'll not overflow us. For as he was with Moses, as he was with Abraham, as he was with Isaac and Jacob, as he was with David and the lion of the tribe of Judah, he is absolutely with us this morning. Do you believe that? Say amen with me and stand with me. What started with Abraham 2,000 years before Christ ends with the birth of Christ in Bethlehem and continues through to this very hour. Because God makes a promise and God will fulfill his promise. God will not let you down. Look at his history. He said, because there is no greater name whereby I can swear to you an oath. I swear I give you an oath on my name. Isaiah said it in chapter 50. He said, what do you do when you have obeyed God, you've followed God, you've walked in obedience, and yet you can't hear him, and you don't know what next step to take? Perhaps you're there. I know our nation is. So much going on this week with the riots from the East Coast to the West Coast. Cities in uproar. People seeking justice. People seeking to fix problems and concerns. People wanting someone to hear them. We understand the social issues and they're there. They're real. And we understand the chaos that's around us. But we're looking in all the wrong places for our hope. We'll never get our justice through man. Oh, Lord, help us this morning. We'll never get it through legislation. We'll never get it through a politician. It will never come through there. Those means are not meant to be our answers. But our hope is in the anchor of our soul, which is Christ. Christ. An old song says, Jesus is still the answer for the world today. I wish I could look into the eyes of the people that are, that are so upset and so enraged and feel so done wrong. I wish I could look at them and just say, Sister Darling, Jesus, Jesus is the answer. He, he brings healing. He brings, he brings order to chaos. Jesus is the one that we We'll find our hope in. And so to you this morning, our hope at Christmas, especially in 2014, is that God keeps his promises no matter what. He's not failed one, and the Bible says he will not fail one. If he hasn't failed it yet, then he's not going to fail you. Marcia, if he hasn't failed yet in world matters, in the promise of a Messiah, in the promise of Scripture, down through time, laying it all out. If he has not failed in world issues, in church issues, in scriptural issues concerning health, happiness, salvation, 
if not one word in this Bible has ever failed, then he will not fail you. Your hope is secure. You can trust him. So this morning, my challenge is that we trust him as our hope at Christmas. Father, as we come before you this morning, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you for coming. We thank you for the work that you've done down through Scripture to outline for us and to give us insight into, Lord, all that you have promised. Every time the world came into a dark place or every time they came into a troubled place, when Israel couldn't go left and couldn't go right, you gave them more of a hint. You, you laid out things. You laid your promises in front of them and you'd give a little bit more so that they would know, waiting on the fullness of time. We know you do all things in order. You do things in the fullness of time. But Lord, you love us so much that down through history, you just kept feeding us. And Lord, you're feeding us today. You're giving us hope today. It's through the comfort of a Savior that will never leave us nor forsake us. We honor you today and we bless you. We thank you for the hope that comes to us at Christmas. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.